Man, that is one sexy roadie right there, ain't it? Man, we serve an awesome God. I mean, he's a God worth singing about. He's a God worth sharing about. He's a God worth shouting about. I mean, just think about the fact that God looked down, saw this ragtag group of people, and said, I'm going to do amazing things through them. That's an amazing God today. I I love the fact that God is whatever you need him to be when you need him to be it. He's the provider. He's father. He's the shepherd. He's the healer. He's the great physician. He is the alpha, the omega. He's the beginning. He's the end and everything in between. He is God. He called Moses and said, I want you to go set my people free. And Moses said, who, who do I say I'm coming on behalf of? And God said in Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. I am whoever you need me to be when you need me to be. We're in this series called God is Blank. And we're looking at the different characteristics of God. First week, we looked at the fact that we serve a God that there ain't nobody like him. We looked at the fact that God is a God of love, that God is a God of forgiveness. And today I want to talk to you because I think if there's ever a message that will hit home with this crowd, preacher included, I want you to understand as we wrap up this series that God is the God of second chances. God is the God of second chances. We hold sins over people's heads. We judge people by their actions. We hold grudges when people mess up. But we serve a God today who is the God of second chances. I mean, as you flip through this book, you'll see some amazing people who have done some amazing things. I mean, it's a book full of great leaders, great kings, great husbands, great wives, great preachers, great shepherds, great warriors. It's the greatest story ever written about some of the greatest people who ever lived. I mean, literally no other book has shaped the world like this book. But the funny thing is, as you read about those great people who did great things, you don't see the type of people we would think about when it comes to people changing the world. It's not a book of those who have it together. It's not a book of the most educated. It's not a book of the most polished. I hold in my hand a book about a bunch of screwed up people, messy people, people who continually screwed up over and over again that God's you. Somebody say amen. I see a book full of people that if they walked into the average church today, the church would look at them and say, you're unfit to be used. I mean, if you go through this book, it's amazing who God used. I mean, think about it for a minute. Noah was a drunk. (laughs) 
Abraham was too old to be used. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. I mean, the Bible said Leah was just ugly. I mean, you know you're ugly when the Bible says you're ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Boy, the Baptist would have hated him. Rahab was a whore. She wasn't a whore. She was a prostitute. There's a difference. Whore does it for free. Prostitute's a businesswoman. Oldest profession known to man. You know that Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus? She's on the family tree. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David, the Bible said, was a man after God's own heart. But he was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. By God, Isaiah preached naked. Think about that for a minute. We'll be trying that next Sunday. <laughs> Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples, the 12 men who were called to follow Jesus in close proximity, they fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced five times. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. And think about this, Lazarus was dead. And yet God used them all. I wrote this phrase down today. I wrote this phrase down this week. And I think I see a t-shirt coming. This book is just full of unfit Saints. <laughs> they weren't looking to be used by God. They weren't qualified to be used by God. They were just regular Joes who ended up doing great things because God looked down and used them for great things. They did not do great things because of anything they had in them. They didn't do great things because of anything they had done. They did great things because God looked down and said, man, I'm not looking for the most talented. I'm looking for the most available. Boom, I'm going to use that person. As you read about these uh, amazing people, what's, what's amazing about them is that the people that God used is not that they were special, but they didn't realize how special they were. They were anointed of God. They were called of God. They were chosen of God. They were living, breathing people who were willing to be used by God. They weren't looking to be special, but they were willing to be used however God saw fit to use them. He's a God of second chances today. At this church, at Action Church, I, I, I don't compare to other churches a lot, but I think if there's any church that can follow the testimony of this, of unfit saints, man, we have a room full of people who have lived this out over and over. I'm not trying to offend you today. If you think you've got it all together, man, we're probably the wrong church for you. 
If you're looking for the perfect church, this ain't it. And by the way, if you find that perfect church, you don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore. But it's a bunch of flawed people led by a flawed preacher doing whatever we can to make a difference in our city. And here's what pisses everybody off. It seems to be working. I catch wind of things from time to time. And I heard recently about one of our city leaders maybe having a little too much to drink at a certain establishment in town. I don't have a problem with having too much to drink. Problem is when you have too much to drink, you get loose-lipped. And he made the comment, I can't wait for the Canton Village Shopping Center to sell. It will be done with Gary and Action Church. Boy, he's going to be so disappointed. Because Action Church is not this building. Action Church is not this property. Action Church is this group of people, and we'll meet anywhere, anytime. Matter of fact, I'm looking at buying some property right next to his house. When we moved to this part of town, people thought we were crazy. You can't grow a church in that part of town. Do you speak Spanish? They used to always say, you're right, we can't. But God can. I mean, at the end of the day, we're just a bunch of nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody who'll save anybody. Literally have that hanging on my wall in my office. Just a bunch of nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. And this room is the potential not only to change our city, but the potential to change the world. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mistakes. You might have screwed up along the way by the world standard, and God said, I was just getting you ready to be used. Great movements stop that, back it up. The greatest movements started with less people than are in this room. The only thing stopping this church from being the church that God intends for it to be is us. God wants to use us, but the problem is so many people here think that could never happen. They don't think they're worthy to be used. Let me make this very clear. You're not. They don't think they've lived a good enough life to be used. And by the world standards, let me make this very clear. You haven't. The problem is God's measuring stick is not the same as the world's measuring stick. God sees awesomeness where we see insecurity. (laughs) Psalms 139 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. This is David talking. He said, your works are wonderful. He said, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. He said, you made me. You weren't shocked by me. You you formed me and you made me unlike anybody else. Let me tell you something. There's nobody else like you. Thank God. There's no one who has your DNA There's no one who has your life experiences. There's no one that has the victories you've had and the losses you've had, and they uniquely make you who you are today. And who you are today is exactly who God wants you to be to be used. 
God doesn't make mistakes. God makes things according to his purpose. He's the God of second chances today. As I was thinking about what story to tell in the Bible, man, there's so many second chance stories in the Bible. Peter and Paul and I mean, I mean everybody. And I kept going back to our verse where Moses said, man, who do I say should send me? And he said, I am who I am. And I got to thinking of how, man, Moses was a man of the second chance. God looked at Moses and he said, that's who I'm going to use when, to be real honest with you, none of us would have chosen Moses. Not a one of us would have said, that's who we're going to use. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are God. For some of you men, that's not hard because you think you are God. You are the creator of the universe. You have all the power within yourself. Your people, now you're God, and your people are being held as slaves. And the time has come for you as God to deliver them. Who are you going to choose to be your vessel on earth to do that? Maybe you would have chosen a great military leader to do that. Maybe a skilled politician to do that. Some great communicator. A man who could give heart-stirring speeches that would grip the hearts of men. If you had the population of the world at your disposal, you would have chosen a lot of people before you chose Moses. I mean, after all, Moses was 80 years old at this time. He was a fugitive at this time. He was wanted for murder in Egypt. Oh, by the, by the way, the very place you're about to send him to set your people free. The Egyptians had the Israelites enslaved. Moses is wanted for murder in Egypt. Yes, he was well-educated, but that was... Over 40 years ago. Yes, he had been well connected in the political circles of the day. But that was 40 years ago. He'd been on the run now. He has no confidence in himself now. He's been working in the fields as a laborer for his father-in-law. He has a stuttering problem. He's not a very good communicator, the Bible says. Yeah, when God said, it's time for me to send someone to Egypt to set the people of Israel free, this is the person he chose for the job. God doesn't view things the way we view them. To us as humans, this doesn't make sense. But to God, it was part of putting the right unfit saint in the right place at the right time. The craziest thing to me is that God called him in a pretty spectacular way, and we'll get to that. God believed in him because God's a God of second chances. (laughs) Don't miss this. But Moses didn't believe in himself like many of us here today. Moses did not see himself as God saw him. Moses did not live a life defined by calling. He lived a life defined by insecurity 
And I'm here to tell you today, this church is full of people sitting in their seats, and God has called you to do something great, but instead of listening to the calling, you're listening to the insecurity in your life. This is the statement that's going through your head. I am never, fill in the blank, enough. I'm never Christian enough, whatever that means. I'm never smart enough. I'm never rich enough to be used. I'm never, help me out here, I'm never forgiven enough. I'm never knowledgeable enough. I'm not Leadership material enough. God said, I'm calling you. I believe in you. Problem is, you don't believe in yourself. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. That repeat in our head. That God comes along and says, man, I'm not enough. A buddy of mine I don't know that he started a church necessarily, but he had a church service last week. And the only reason I'm sharing this story without his permission is because he shared it in the newspaper this week. And he wrote an article, Chris writes an article for the newspaper. And he used to pastor and he went through some things. It's not my place to talk about the things he went through. And for the last couple of decades, he hasn't felt worthy enough to preach or to pastor. He felt God calling him to have a service last week, and they headed up at Darby. I reached out to him, and I was encouraging him. And in the article, he said, man, the whole week the devil battled him, reminding him that he's not good enough. Well, of course he did. I really want to slap Chris and be like, you were surprised by that? You thought that was how that was going to go down? Man, if the devil can sidetrack you before you do it, his job's easy. God's not looking for perfection. God is not looking for qualified. God's looking for available. We're going to look at Moses today because more than any leader, make no mistake about it, Moses is one of the greatest leaders who ever lived. Moses dealt with insecurity throughout his life and it almost kept him from living out his calling. Moses was a leader. He was called to deliver the children of Israel from slavery. But before he could be the deliverer, God had to deliver him of some things. Three battles that we all face when it comes to being used by God. I heard someone on a rampage the other day about kids today. About kids today. That's when you know you've gotten old. This guy said, doesn't it drive you crazy? Kids today think they're so special. What do you mean? They think everybody cares about everything they do, so they post it on social media. They're so special, we care what they ate, and we care what they wear, and we care where they went. And I said, no, 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 no. The problem today is not that children think they're so special. The problem is they don't realize how special they are. So they're looking to seek validation from everyone and everything instead of seeing themselves the way God sees them. 
We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Let me enlighten you on something today. We are special. The problem is we don't see ourselves as special. Sin is an event, but we define ourselves by it. Your sin does not make you who you are. It does not mold you. It does not come to you with a label. And oh, by the way, everyone here has sinned. Everyone here is screwed up, effed up, messed up, whatever, uh, whatever little attachments you want to put to it. And probably the one judging you the most for your sin has got more in their closets than you ever would know about. The problem is we're not sinners. The problem is we just got called. Exodus 3, now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and they led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So right now at this time in Moses' life, he's tending the sheep. He's went to the far side of the estate. He's feeling isolated and alone. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within the bush. And Moses saw that through the bush, that the, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. So Moses is out tending, a bush catches on fire, the bush is not burning up. He hears something, he's walking over to it. As he's walking over to it, God begins to talk to him. Moses, Moses, oh, by the way, God will always call you by your name. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I love how God identifies himself. You'll never be confused on whether or not it was God or not. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Moses knew he was unworthy. His mind was telling him, I'm unworthy. Even though God has come to me in this moment, he knows me by my name, and he loves me enough to identify himself to me. I'm unworthy. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. This is God speaking. He said, so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, a bunch of names I can't pronounce. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to bring the people. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Shepherd. Shepherd because he's actually in hiding. In Egypt, he's the murderer. In Egypt, he's the one who murdered a soldier and ran. He thinks he's found a safe place to hide out. I was reading recently about Alaska. And it said that Alaska has more felons than any state, but they're off the grid because they, they can go there and they can be in solitude, they can hide out, and they can live their life. That's what Moses is doing here. And God is speaking to a man 
who did not expect to hear from God, much less hear from God through a burning bush. He's not calling Moses once but twice. Moses! Moses! Making sure he got his attention. And then he tells Moses, you will deliver my people. I'm setting all this up where we can get to the sermon. This is just, this is just the appetizer for you today. He said, you're going to deliver my children. See, God didn't see a murderer. We would have. You know what he did? You know who that is? Hmm. He didn't see a murderer. He saw someone he was going to use to do great things. What I'm trying to tell you today is when God looks at you, he doesn't see the label that society has put on you. He looks at you and says, I made that person. I shaped that person. I formed that person. I created that person. I took them through the mess to prepare them for the ministry in which I have planned for them. But we miss out on that. Because why God believes in us, we don't believe in ourselves. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring forth the Israelites out You're out tending sheep. Excuse my language here for a moment. But a damn bush is on fire that is not burning up. Out of the middle of the bush comes the voice of God calling me by my first name. I like to think I'm going to do whatever it tells me to do. If I know that as I was tending to the sheep, I haven't ate any of the mushrooms out there, smoked any of the weed out there, drank any of the grapes out there, and that I am of a sober state of mind, yet this bush that is not on fire is talking to me and calling me by its first name, I'm not questioning it. Who am I? I just got to be honest with you, man. What a pitiful response for Moses. I mean, think about this. We're getting a play-by-play conversation. We're getting the text messages. God, Moses. God, Moses. God. We hear God. We hear Moses. But we don't hear the root of what's going on in Moses. We hear the words Moses are saying, but we don't hear the insecurities that are fueling Moses. We hear the conversation between God and Moses, but we're not hearing the conversation in Moses' head. And that's where so many of us are today. God has called you for greatness. God has called you for a purpose. God has a plan on your life. God has a calling on your life. God has a vision on your life. The Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. If there was no vision for your life, you'd be dead. But you're letting every single day of your life go by going through the motions. You're essentially living life as a loser. Because you don't know how to be a champion. God made you a champion. 
God made you, God might not have made you to be up here and teach, but God gave you a gifting to do something. And what you call to do is something I probably could never do because it's unique to you. But you're allowing the devil to set up camp in your mind and convince you on why you were not worthy to do those things. And you're wasting the most precious gift God gave you, life. God's telling Moses who he is. <laughs> I know, I know who you are. But who am I? I get your big G, big God. But who am I? Out of all the people you could have chosen, you chose me. I'm not qualified. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not. God, did you forget that I'm actually wanted by the law over there? God, God, 80 years old. Like, I'm older than Doug Knight, God. And you want to call me to go do this? I get it, God. The bush ain't burning. You're talking to me through the bush. You know me by your name and you've identified yourself. That's cool. But who am I? God sees Moses. God sees you. God's a God of second chances. But Moses sees something else. You see something else. You see your past mistakes. And your past mistakes keep defining your current state. And you wonder why you can't thrive while you're alive. You see your drinking problem and accept the fact that you're a drunk. You see your addiction problem and accept the fact that you're an addict. You define yourself by your past affairs. You define yourself by your past failures. Oh, by the way, the funny thing is I've never met a successful person who hadn't failed. Show me a leader without a limp and I'll tell you they're not a leader. Bring me the bruised up leader. The beat up leader. The leader who looks like he's been, he like, like, listen, I, I, want the, I want the dog that grew up in the alleyway. He knows his mama, he never met his daddy, but he heard he was a pit bull on the other side of town. He had to ravage through the trash to survive. That's what God says, I, I created you for. The problem is it's easy to look at Moses and say, we didn't need it, but we do the same thing. We play the same head games. I want to give you those head games, then we're going to get out of here. The first head game we play is this, God, you can't use me. I'm so dysfunctional. I, I'm so dysfunctional. We joke that we put the fun in dysfunction at the Lamb House. See, see, if you just read this at face value, you would think Moses is asking, who am I? Because he's meaning in the context of comparing himself to God. Who am I, man? You're God and I'm, I'm just Moses. But to understand the insecurities, you have to understand the history of the person. Because the history defines the insecurities. The enemy will use your history. Don't, ooh, the, 
The enemy will use your history to ignite your insecurity. God is identifying himself to Moses and all that, all that Moses can hear in his head is, man, I'm a murderer. I'm on the run. I've been hiding out for 40 years. How can God use me? Years before Moses had seen a situation, he handled the situation wrong. He was a Hebrew by birth, but he had been raised by the Egyptians. He was tired of seeing the Hebrews abused by the Egyptians. So look what he did one day after Moses had grown up. He went out to where Exodus 2 were hanging out at. He went out to where his own people were. And he watched them with their hard labor. He was raised. Remember, his mom stuck him in a little basket, sent him down the river. Daughter of Pharaoh found him. He was raised in the Egyptian king's home. Now he's an adult and he's seeing his people. And he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrews? The man said, who made you rule and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing us as you killed the Egyptians? Oh, by the way, when you sin and you think nobody's watching, somebody's watching. He looked both ways. These jokers saw it. Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh he went to live in Midian where he sat down by a well. That's many years later. Moses has gotten married. He's working for her dad. He's living a simple life. And God comes along and disrupts it. Hey, you want God to disrupt your plans? Get real comfortable. Settle in. Instead of dealing with your past, forget about your past. God will come along and remind you he's not done using you. God comes along and finds him out there in his comfort zone because God never called us to live a life of comfort. It's the biggest lie in the church. God called you to live a life of mission. But as soon as God starts telling you what you want to do through you, the devil's going to come along and tell you why you aren't qualified to do it. I know God called you, but did he forget you're a murderer? But God, I, I believe you can set people free, but who am I? Isn't it funny we believe God can offer forgiveness to everyone but ourselves? Man, we beat ourselves up worse than anybody. I'm a man in hiding. I'm hiding my face from you because you're holy and I'm not. God, I'm so messed up. I'm so jacked up. I'm so messy. Who am I? Listen to me today. It's not all the things you did before you met Christ. It's not all the screw-ups you did after you met Christ. Because if you think you met Christ and you're not going to screw up anymore, boy, you've been fed alone. It's the fact that God chooses to use you in the midst of your mess. You're broke, busted, and disgusted. And God says, that's what I'm going to use. 
You didn't understand the mess, but God said, I was working a miracle for you. Because I'm going to have you minister to some people that only you can relate to. So we've got to quit buying in. We've got to quit buying in to the dysfunctional mindset that we're not worthy to be used. Don't flatter yourself. We're dysfunctional. Welcome to the club. I used to tell people all the time, in my life would be a great reality show. And then I just come to the conclusion that everybody's life would be a great reality show. Because life's crazy. You, you know that family that comes to church here and you think they got it all together? Or they're dysfunctional. They just hide it better than you. They just have different kind of dysfunction. You know when you go to the restaurant, I don't know if you're ever guilty of this, I'm guilty of it sometimes on Sunday. We'll go out to eat. And I look around my table. And it's Bubba, Misty, Kylie, Betty, Jeff, when Rhonda ain't but heard about something, Rhonda. Sometimes my brother-in-law, Brandon. Sometimes my father-in-law. And then I look at all the other tables in the restaurant, and I'm thinking, why do people look so normal? Clothes match. Never the words, not the f bomb. Yeah, I know that guy. He's a, there's always there's three there's always four of us. There's three different pastors always at Buffalo besides me. And their people look so normal, and they look normal. Like they got nice slacks on, you know, with the crease down the middle. The hair's always fixed. The ties tied perfect. And I'm thinking, man, every, every once in a while I'm like, man, they got it made. And then I think to myself, no, they don't. Probably everybody at that table sleeping together, they just ain't admitting it. At least my table's admitting it. <laughs> my table admits they're crazy. Man, we tend to look on the exterior when we're all dysfunctional. If God didn't use dysfunctional people, none of us would be able to be used. So quit flattering yourself or quit lying to yourself about your dysfunction. Not am I only so dysfunctional, I'm so deficient. I'm so deficient. The word deficient means lacking something that is needed. Not having enough of something not skilled enough, not smart enough, not strong enough, not brave enough, insightful enough. I'm not blank enough. God comes to Moses and his insecurities begin to point out what appear to be flaws. Let me catch you up. God calls Moses. Moses has doubts. Moses worries no one's going to follow him. God says, throw your rod on the ground. And the rod turns into a snake. He said, pick it up. Picks up the snake and it turns back to a rod. God says, stick your hand in your cloak. He sticks his hand in his cloak, pulls it out. It's disease-ridden. He says, stick it back in. He sticks it back in, pulls it back out. The disease is gone. God says, if they don't believe those two things is the reason I sent you, pour some water on the ground and it'll turn to blood. Then they'll believe you. I don't know about you. That's some pretty cool talent. 
I could throw a rod on the ground and turn into a snake. Could you imagine how cocky I'd be? Man, who sent you? Boom. But not Moses. Moses sees his deficiencies. Look what he says, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. He's warming him up, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. God, that snake thing is cool. That diseased hand thing was cool. The water, the blood, that's a whole nother level, God. But listen, I can't do this. I'm stuttering problem, God. You want me to go before Pharaoh? Man, find someone who's more eloquent. I'm not as good as the others. I don't have what it takes, God. I've never been good enough, God. I'm not tall enough. I'm not blonde enough. Listen, listen. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not smart enough. Whatever it is, BS excuse you're using to not be used to God falls on deaf ears when it comes to God. Because he called you. Look what he said. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths. You got a speaking problem. Who gave you your mouth? That's right, I did. Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Oh, Moses, you got a stuttering problem. Who gave you that mouth? Oh, you got that problem. Who gave you that skill? See, when you doubt the product, you insult the manufacturer. You look in the mirror and don't like what you see, and God says, I made that. I shaped you. I formed you. I had the hairs on your head numbers. I took you from the rib and I made you and I don't make mistakes. You need to get to the point in your life where you... Oh, this is, you need to get to the point in your life where you realize if God left it out of you, you don't need it to fulfill His purposes. God gave you everything you need when he made you. I used to think insecurity was humility. Someone being humble. It's not. Insecurity is insulting. You're insulting the God who made you. You're insinuating that there could be something better about you than the creator of the universe who spoke everything into existence from nothing, making you. When you imply you're deficient, you're implying God doesn't know what he's doing. Quit, compa- <laughs> Don't miss this. Quit comparing yourself against someone else's calling. I wish I could speak like that person. Maybe God didn't call you to speak. Anybody who knows me knows the only thing I want to do in life is to sit on the front porch, pick a guitar, and sing depressing country music. And I want to do it good. 
I literally might be the worst singer in the world. I'm horrible at it. It's horrible. Like, 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 have you ever been alone in your car singing? Like, I'm not trying to be funny here. This is facts. And I sing alone sometimes, and it's so bad that it offends me. And I'm alone. But guess what? God didn't call me to be a worship pastor. I don't need to sing to do what God told me to do. I can get mad about it all day long, but the fact of the matter is that's not my calling. God gave you exactly what you need for the calling that He gave you. Quit looking at the deficiencies of the situation. The way you overcome your insecurities is you get back to the who and the who made you. God made you. He formed you. He shaped you. He created you, and He called you, and He gave you everything you need to fulfill your calling. Moses said, pardon your servant, please. Send someone else. I see I'm getting nowhere with you guys, so please just send someone else. God called Moses. Moses thinks he's not qualified. Then the Lord's anger burned. Now God's pissed. Because he's been insulted. And you better be careful what you ask of God because sometimes he'll give it to you. Send someone else, God. To know you lived your life missing your calling because of your deficiencies and your dysfunction has to be one of the most miserable things in the world. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, What about your brother Aaron? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if your mouth, if he were your mouth, and as if you were with God to him. But take his staff in your other hand so you can perform the signs. I read what Moses is saying. He said, I'm I'm nervous. I don't think I'm good enough. The Bible says God got angry, and God changed the plan. And I wonder how many blessings Moses missed out on through that. Every time Aaron spoke, I believe Moses was like, man, that was my purpose. That was my calling. God never doubted Moses. Moses doubted God. And that brings us to the last point, dysfunction deficiency, and then we can't be used to God because we're so doubtful. Moses just doubted himself. We believe God, but we don't believe God's powerful enough to work through us. I know you can do this, God, but I doubt you can do it through me. (laughs) It's not you, God, it's me. I want to read part of the conversation I left out. This is the key to dealing with your insecurities. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. We've been there all series. That's what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God, God, 
also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Okay, I get it, God. We're going, me and Aaron are going. They're not going to listen to me. Who do I say sent me? I am. Got it. I am who sent me. I am that I am sent me. Who, God? I am. Moses is looking for certainty from God. I need a definite answer. God, who sent me? God said, I just gave you a definite answer. I just spoke to you in the present tense. I am. He's telling Moses, I am who I am. Go. Quit doubting. Because whatever you need in whatever circumstance you fall into, I am that person for you. When you're going to need resources, I am resources. When you're going to need faith, I am faith. When you need forgiveness, I am forgiveness. When you need strength, I'll be your strength. When when you need someone to come along and fight your battles, I'm a warrior. Whatever you need, Moses, I am. Quit doubting, because I am that I am. You're right. You're not good enough. But God says you are. And then here's the great news. God's not asking you to go do it on your own. He says, I'm going to go with you because I am that I am. God, I'm not good. Yeah, but I am. God, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Kind of funny. But I am. God, I'm not a leader. No, trust me, I know. But I am. God, I'm not strong. No. But I am. See, when you see God as I am, you will never have need to doubt Him again. He's what you need when you need it. God's a God of second chances. God could do great things through this group of people. God could bring so many people in here that this building wouldn't hold us. But we're the roadblock. Because so many of you refuse to be used. God's called you. God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. But you've allowed dysfunction to think you can't be used. You've allowed your deficiencies, and make no mistake about it, we all have deficiencies, but the point is we don't need those to do what God called us to do. And we've allowed our doubts. Someone asked me, they said, how big do you want this church to get? Let me make this very clear. I don't care how big it gets. If 20 people show up, I'll be here. If 5,000 people show up, I'll be here. I don't want to go to a church that big. Well, then don't go to heaven. You'll hate it. Like, I've never understood that. How big are we going to get? Well, I don't know. 200 people, and then I lock the door and tell no one they can come in anymore? Sorry. 
We're full. The stupidest question I've ever heard. We're just going to do what God's called us to do and not worry about growth. And let God send who he said, when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. The more we lift God up, the more he'll draw people to us. I, 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 just, I just feel things are changing around here. Shut the hell up. For real, shut up. Let me educate you on some things. Some things needed to change around here. So what you can do is, you can get on the train, or we'll stop the train, you can get off. We're not going to cry about it. And things are going to keep on changing. Because we're a living organism and living things change. And the day we quit changing is the day we become stagnant and die. Sorry your best pal doesn't come here anymore. Try calling him on a Monday. It's okay. Churches have become gangs all of a sudden, man. Like, you don't go to my gang, got my patch on, you can't come here. <laughs> Grow up. But I'm telling you, you need to buckle up. Because God's getting ready. He's getting ready. I, I haven't shared this story in a while. Most of you have heard it before. I'm going to share it because I believe I'm going to close out with this story. When I was growing up, we used to go to Granny's every Sunday. Anybody go to Granny's every Sunday? Mm. Can't nobody throw down like Granny. I know you know the story, but I'm going to tell you because I like it. My Granny was so whole another level. She didn't just make one meat. It was always two meats. So, like, it might be country fried steak and ham. It might be fried chicken and chicken and dumb. I, I don't, it was always two. I know you Yankees don't know nothing about this, but, but I can promise you, most of the time, both dishes were going to be fried. Always one of them was going to be fried. Because that's how the Lord cooks in heaven. So, there'd be two meats. My favorite, my favorite was when it was country fried steak and fried chicken. You think they're the same? No, it's two different things. Two different things. And then my granny was holding her little, she'd make a white gravy and a brown gravy because some people like white gravy, some people like brown gravy. And then she'd make green beans. I ain't talking about the green beans like my wife makes, and I love my wife. My wife makes healthy green beans. They're crunchy. I don't eat them. I'm talking about my, my, my granny. See, if you ain't got a granny, my granny made green beans, and they have chunks of bacon in them. And she made a ham and had the ham hock in it. And them green beans will start cooking on Saturday night. And then she made mashed potatoes. I ain't talking about instant mashed Listen, ladies, I know. Ladies, how many of you ladies are under 50 out there? Under 50, raise your hand. Ladies, did you know you can make mashed potatoes that don't come from a bag? It's true. You can take real potatoes and make mashed potatoes. Oh, yeah. Ten-pound bag of mashed potatoes every Sunday. And man, it has so much butter on me, it'd be swimming. So green beans, mashed potatoes, macaroni and cheese. I'm talking about pat-out thick macaroni and cheese. 
man. And then I don't know why, because I guess the green beans, well, there's always another kind of bean, like a pea, like a black-eyed pea, or a butter bean or something. There's always something else. Some carrots. She'd always make cornbread in a cast iron skillet. Mm. But that wasn't enough, because you had to have more than one bread. So she'd make these cat head biscuits. I mean, they about like that. Pow. There wasn't no Welch's grape jelly in there. It was a mason jar with a strawberry preserve. Sogum syrup. And you'd eat. And you would eat. And you would eat. And my granny would never sit down and eat. Always serving people. And then when we got done eating, granny would walk around and start picking up everybody's plate. But she'd always say something when she picked up a plate. Hold your fork. And she'd go to the next table. And she'd say, hold your fork. Man, everything be off the table and you still you stand there with your fork. Now listen, the fried chicken was good. And the country fried steak was good. And the mashed potatoes were good, and the macaroni and cheese was good, and the green beans were good, and the black eyed peas were good, and the cornbread, and the cat head biscuits were all good. Oh, and cream corn. I forgot she made cream corn. Good God almighty Jesus. And she had this little mason jar. I don't know what it was, but all we had like cut up onions and like peppers. Like a relish? Chow, chow. And you put that on the side of your corn. I feel the Holy Ghost of God coursing through my veins right now. I'm about to speak in tongues and I don't even believe in it. Listen. Listen. But she'd say, hold your fork. And here's what hold your fork meant. As good as all that was, the best was yet to come. She's about to bring out banana pudding. Seven-layer chocolate cake, which I've touched here with you before, was only six layers, so I don't know why it was called seven-layer. I think she lost one of the pans, so it was only six-layer. Sometimes she'd bring out a German chocolate cake. I didn't like that that much, but I'd eat it. But Granny made it with love. When you make it with love, that's a secret ingredient. Hold your fork. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, and you know I'm not this type of guy. I'm not... The type of person that's always like, God's moving, get ready. I'm telling you, Action Church, to hold your fork. There's just something happening around here. You can feel it. It's coming. It's already brewing. The best is yet to come. Hold your fork. But you better realize that God can use you Because as he begins to move here and do what I believe he's about to do and we're about to see revival, he's going to need your gifting to help that go to that level. So get rid of the excuse of dysfunction. We get it. You're dysfunctional. Me too. Get rid of the deficiencies. I get it. You know all the deficiencies I have as a pastor? Basically go to 1 Timothy and look at all the qualifications. (laughs) I'm the opposite. Man, God is going to use you to get rid of the doubts and get ready to be used because he's a God of second chances. Let's pray.